This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Y- yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Jean-Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents, Christopher. And Eric. And every week, I almost forget to say Christopher. I almost I just say TDPS Presents, and then there's a moment of complete instantaneous terror that makes no sense, and then I remember to say Christopher. That seems really tricky. Why are you tricky. leaving? Are you getting up and leaving? Do you not want to do this <laughs> podcast? Why are you leaving? Come back, Eric Jean-Quinn. I'll get funnier. I promise I'll get funnier. (laughs) Why would that be? Why would you have any hesitation? I have no idea. I'm afraid to say my own name. I've been shamed out of saying. Oh, yeah, that's really a huge problem for you. (laughs) As everybody drinks, knows. In case this is your first time listening to the podcast, we talk a lot about true crime, which we're not actually going to talk about today. Not as much as Christopher talks about. But not as much as I talk about myself. I am accused, both by my co host and best friend, as well as our party people, and all of the existing evidence, (laughs) thousands of hours of recordings. That I will occasionally make a story about me. I don't really think this is true. I, you know, in fact, I, here are some examples of how I don't do that. Well, you know, sometimes we'll be like, you know, and the murderer went to Miami, and it was like my mom used to have a place in Miami. Actually, <laughs> we used to go down there when I was young. And everybody drank. Everybody drank because they made it about me. This was actually one of our beloved party people who came up with this idea, and Eric Shaw Quinn loved it because he loves to make me look terrible on our show. Yeah, that's it. That's what it's all about, mm. which is also all about Christopher all once about again. TDPS that's what I do. I spend all of my time thinking about how I'm going to make Christopher rather and than Christopher. Right. Christopher, 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 Christopher. <laughs> Malkovich, 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 Christopher, Christopher, Christopher. Um, you know, uh, we want to remind people because it will become relevant later, that we have a Facebook page. The Facebook page is for The Dinner Party Show, which is what TDPS stands for. It's our parent brand, if you will. It's our network name. And 
today's episode is going to give rise to something we haven't done in a long time, which is a giveaway. We're going to give you shit. Oh, I was like, how will the Facebook page ever be relevant? (laughs) Wait, it's not. Don't say it's not relevant. Well, you know what I mean? Like, it's a great way to communicate with people, but like. How is it suddenly going to become more relevant? And it was like, oh, right, a giveaway. I forgot about that part of this episode. We are giving away Eric's car. We are allegedly <laughs> giving stuff away. But in the, in the past, we have said we were giving stuff away and then forgotten that we gave this stuff I, away. Had to be reminded that, oh, yeah, okay, we so don't have a producer. To that's tell why us we're to doing one giveaway this year. This is going to be it. This is going to be the giveaway because the problem last time is we did too <laughs> we promised too many consistent consistent regular giveaways and we were still fulfilling things during the pandemic and we hadn't done a podcast I think in a saying long time. that it's only one this year is also a promise I think we should okay. just we remain should completely up. non-committal apparently something will get given away we're not going to tell you how or who's going to get it but yes. there's there will be a giveaway and you'll just have to take our word for it I want to say I was very encouraged because I listened to a podcast called Fated Mates which is a wonderful romance writing podcast with Sarah McLean and Jen Prokop and she was saying the same thing about having gone back and listened to their old episodes and said, we have to stop promising people we're going to do stuff. We've made all these promises about shows we're going to do, things we're going to talk about, prizes. Last week, we actually finally did that. Yeah, we did. We did actually finally do the... What did we call it? True crime redo. Redux. Redux. It's yes. Latin. It's Latin, right? Latin or French? Well, or? It's, it's very, it's Latin with a French accent. <laughs> Redux. <laughs> I hear they all really sounded like that back in the Latin times. <laughs> the Latin French period. Right. Yeah. That's absolutely what happened. No, but talk about um, what we did last week in case this is our, someone's first oh, time it was, listening. We had... We had run across a true crime. I'm sorry. That's all the time we have. (laughs) I would like to talk about my childhood. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We had run across a true crime episode that straight washed Mm -hmm. a previous episode of something that we had covered on the show. And we were so astonished that we wondered if any of the other episodes in the same series. Right. Because, and then we realized we had covered, we'd actually done, we'd featured one of the, um, the other episodes in the series, and we found a Dateline version of that. And once again, they were, yeah, it was a series The show called, is called The Perfect Murder, and they're full of shit, is really what they are. Crime it's not a true crime series. It's not a true crime series. It is a crime um, dramedy, or a crime um, dramatization. Yeah. Like, and I don't know that it's not valid, or but it's not true crime, because they're not telling the truth. You can't just change all of the details of a crime and yeah. claim to be a true crime show. Like... I think that's, I don't know, at least unethical. Morally dubious would be my way of describing it. It's not actually illegal. Yeah. Well, you know, free speech. Mm -hmm. Big excuse for a lot of bad shit. But they're actually, yeah, but free speech is not a, a, you don't get to like say whatever you want about other people. Yeah, that's true. That's actually slander. In Um, other words, we're not giving away Eric's car, and I take that back before Eric files a lawsuit against me. Before I file a lawsuit against Christopher, I'm calling CNN. Um, (laughs) uh, Good luck. They're great with the truth. They're they're really, talk about, yeah, a handshake acquaintance. Um, (laughs) No, we're, um, we're uh, not going to sue them, but the people who actually were in the crimes and who were depicted as doing and saying things could make a case for, like, you know, unless you say this is based on 
a case in the dramatization, but not inspired be, by right, many of the characters are. But mm-hmm. he doesn't say any of those things. They just present this as though it's the real case, and it's not. It's so not. that was the the. But we've been promising to do that redux for a really long time, and we're like, dogs, and mm, we, we finally got around to it. So that's it. One promise kept <laughs> in 15 years. I yes. don't know however long we've been doing this. Uh, 60, 60 years. 60 years. Yeah, yeah 60 that years. seems about right. Um, so we, I, we don't want to rush into what we're talking about today because we're worried it won't take up enough time. <laughs> And by we, Christopher means he is worried that it's not going to take up enough time. So he's beating around the bush. We we were inspired by um, ripped from the headlines. Right. We were inspired by current events by, for this week's episode, which is called Say Gay, because apparently there is a bill that I don't know if Many it's been bills. signed into law in Florida, and it is there are copycat versions of it happening in other states. That's being called the "Don't Say Gay" bill, right? Um, yeah, and that's we were a little horrified to hear in this day and age that it was still possible to do something that hideously bigoted. Well, here's the thing that set me the fuck off, right? Because with some things, it takes a while. I try not to weigh. I try not to go off half cocked, you know, like whatever, unless it's something really important, like a true crime show that's right. lying about something. In which case. Um, th- this bill was under attack, uh, rightfully so, I believe, in Florida. And the substance of the bill was that there can be no discussion of LGBT, sex- gender identity or sexual identity to kindergartners through, I believe it's third graders. Yes. Um, the defense of the bill is that we're just trying to protect these young children from sexually explicit conversations, that there are carve-outs, that a student who mentions something gay won't be punished and a teacher won't be punished if they let the student say the thing. But if the teacher says the thing, we're in a different territory. The bill is, I think, massive government overreach at least. And it, like the abortion brought bill... Brought to you by the, the small government uh, Exactly. And brought to you by... Um, the same, I think, legal architecture, if you will, behind the abortion bill in Texas, which is that private citizens are then empowered to bring civil suits to enforce this law, which I think is legal chaos. Anyway, but what set me off was a lieutenant for Governor Ron DeSantis saying that if you were against the bill, you were in favor of grooming children, which is dog whistle language that accuses LGBT people of being pedophiles who are trying to recruit and convert young people into a deviant sexuality. It originates from this idea that um, that everyone is born straight and that through a series of corrupting processes, you are turned gay, gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender or non-binary, you know, fill in the, the colors of the diversity rainbow there when it comes to sexual and gender identity. Um, this is only something you believe if you are an asshole. <laughs> well, it is just it is just the absolute quintessence of a bigoted and privileged view of the world. So my response 
is that I'm going to begin raising money mm-hmm. to um, finance lawsuits to sue anybody who mentions their pregnancy, their husband, mm-hmm. their wedding, their children, yeah. their marriage, or any other expression of their sexuality because that's all about talking about gender, sexuality, and identity as well. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that's so blind about these bills is that – or this kind of legislation is that it – it somehow sees that there is an okay version of mm-hmm. sexuality that it's fine to talk right. about to anybody. And it's so it's like fish not knowing that they're in water. They're so immersed in it that they don't they aren't even aware mm-hmm. that they are constantly expressing their own sexuality all the time by Absolutely. everything that they do and that we've all been having it crammed down our throats to use one of their favorite terms about why do you have to cram it down our throats Mm -hmm. like um it it just it's just really offensive it's unbelievably offensive and i don't think it's gonna i i hope that it will be unenforceable but if it is enforceable i am in favor of do of having the of of suing Mm-hmm. On behalf, you know, of suing people for expressing their straight if, sexuality. Exactly. If you can't, if it's if we're not going to talk about sexuality, and honest to God, kindergarten through third grade, if anybody's talking about their confirmation surgery to third graders, then mm-hmm. I have some issues with that. Just on a general, like, good sense or good and taste. Who the fuck of, is? Who is? And nobody, nobody is. is. Like that's why it's so ridiculous. Like if you're truly invested in protecting kindergartners through third graders from sexually explicit content, there is already an abundance, I'm sure, of regulations, of local ordinances, of school policies. You don't need this law. I just this can't law imagine is it's a, coming up. This law is about. I think it's fundamentally about gay parenting. I think what the law is about is bigots not wanting anybody in the, any of the other kids to know the details of the fact that some of their classmates may have same gender parents. I think that's what it's about. But I think, as we have often talked about, treating any reference to homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, all these things as inordinately sexually explicit is inherently a lie. It's fundamentally dishonest, and it is an age-old strategy of bigots. They, 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 in their minds, are associating these identities with what they consider to be deviant sex acts, but that's not implicit in the term. That's their obsessive fixation on it. Anybody different than me is wrong. Yeah, anybody different than me is wrong. But, but it, all, and it always gets back to this thing of, like, if you truly believe, if you are a straight person of religious convictions and you truly believe sex is for the purpose of procreation and should never take place outside of marriage, I have about 8 billion straight people you need to talk to first before you fucking come for me. Yeah. Like, because that's not how any of them are doing it. Let's take Bachelor and Paradise Island or Cheat on My Girlfriend Island (laughs) off of television before we start coming for these non-existent conversations in third grade about Mm -hmm. um, explicit anal sex instruction for little boys or whatever else. Like, none of that is happening. It is not a problem. This legislation is not designed to fix a problem. But this is also— it is creating one, and it is creating a hostile and negative environment for— Like, one of the people they interviewed that I saw was a gay man who is married to another man who teaches 
this grade group who mm-hmm. teaches children this age. He said, am I not allowed to mention that I am married? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the type of example that I'm thinking about. That's exactly, I think, what it's actually aimed at. I think that's the agenda. And, and I that's think why I'm in favor of suing straight people for yeah. talking about their sexuality. Exactly, exactly. So we wanted to have a positive response to this. But we're too late. But we're too <laughs> But we, we just have that one. Yeah. Which was really not very positive. But moving towards a more sort of positive view and upping the conversation about gay, 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 and, and also, saying gay as much as possible. Also pointing out that concurrent with all of this. LGBT books across all grade levels are being pulled off of library shelves yes. in school environments, secondary school environments, where we're talking about 17 and 18-year-olds. Um, these books are being yanked. They're being censored. And they have now have audio recording of a North Texas librarian being very frank about why it's happening, because they are LGBT books and we do not want the kids reading them. Okay, So we really thought it was important to highlight the impact of the works, the works that have impacted us positively. Uh, maybe not when we were incredibly young, but later in life and in a way that was incredibly beneficial to us as human beings. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? (laughs) 
So, so how do you want to do this, Christopher? Well, we each we don't know what the others' picks are, but independently, we picked our favorite gay movie, our favorite gay book, and our favorite gay TV series. So maybe we can go back and forth through the categories. Like you can do well, whatever you want to do first, and then I'll do that. When one. you were considering this, was it the one that had the was it your favorite, or was it the one that was like the one that had the most impact on you? Mm, like the one that had maybe the earliest impact on me. Yeah. That, because that's yeah. really that's because that seems to be germane to this topic. Like one of the things that happens um, certainly was my experience um, is when you realize that you are a gay person, you're not necessarily being raised in a gay family, and you don't necessarily know any other gay people, and there's this sense of isolation and representation in the media and. Things like books and television shows and movies and what can give you some sense of your own identity and make you feel less isolated and terrified. And so, one of the things that's really important to us, or certainly mm -hmm. I think a part of this conversation, is that those things continue to be available right. for people who are questioning mm -hmm. and have some interest or doubts or misunderstandings about their own sexuality. Yeah. I mean, who am I? And if I don't have anybody to ask around me, wouldn't it be great if I, you know, read a YA novel and what do you know, there were actually some gay people in it and, and I got to begin to understand There that. is currently a renaissance in LGBT young adult fiction right now, which may have been par part of what is provoking this response. There is an enormous amount of inclusive celebratory material about young LGBT people being written and being published way more than when I was in high school. I don't, there wasn't any when I was in high school. It didn't exist. But I think it's also to point out that the targeting that's happening is targeting a type of children's book that also didn't exist when we were young people. I remember Heather Has Two Mommies used to be a punchline. It was a joke. We didn't have it in our library. But there's now, and it's not sexually explicit material. It's for it's for kids that are having gender identity issues that are whatever. And that's what they're really fucking going after. And it's not sexually explicit material. So I think it's important. And that's even more valuable. But you're right. What we're talking about is the stuff that really... Your description of reading, and I don't want to get ahead of it because I think it might be one of your choices, reading a certain book and the author appeared on the Dinner Party Show yes. podcast, you know. Ultimately, like, yeah. yeah, that was, that's, you know, like, okay, so like, which is my favorite and which was the one one that meant that that much to me is, that isn't the same book. Right, exactly. You know, like, and that's why I asked that question. Like, we can start with books and we can start with that story when I was in High school, and I'm not even sure exactly how it happened. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that what happened was, as I recall it, what happened was, <laughs> um, I think that one of my um, English instructors, um, Joan Assey, mm. was okay. her name. That was her name. Okay, okay, it's fine. And it's jo fine. And Everyone has a last we, name. And yeah. her husband's name was Jack. Okay, that's an interesting side note to an otherwise uplifting story. Yeah, okay. and she was delightful and fun and wonderful, and that yeah. was just their name, and you could do with it what you will, and she wouldn't have cared. Like, yeah. she was just not that person. Mm -hmm. You could have teased her if you wanted to, or you could have tried, but I don't think it would have had much impact on her. She yeah. just was like, yeah, that's my name. Yeah. Um, I think she called my attention to um, a book called The Front Runner. 
which was mm-hmm. a paperback book of the front runner, which was by a woman named Patricia Nell Warren, who Christopher mm-hmm. pointed out actually came on the show. Yeah. Um, actually had the the honor of meeting her, but it was it was absolutely astonishing to me because it was the first book I ever. It was my first encounter with ever reading about or seeing about any connection to a gay character in anything. The only thing that was close was Billy Crystal had played a gay character on the television show Soap, Mm. but the ABC affiliate in Columbia, South Carolina, where I was living at the time, wouldn't air it. And that was why? The show, they didn't air the show at all. Yeah. And so I only knew about it, but it wasn't something that I really got to to see until later. Mm -hmm. Um, but the book, actually, there it was. You know, mm-hmm. there were gay people and people, men falling in love with other men and mm-hmm. stuff and having sex with other men and things were happening. It's a love story, right? It was yeah. it's very much a love story and mm-hmm. um, and just really meant an enormous amount to me, but it was very personal and almost secret. It was like mm. my only connection with anything else gay. And it was enormously important to me in that moment because... As you said, there just wasn't anything else. It mm-hmm. was not happening. It was not okay. People were not. There were periods in history. I don't think this was one of them where it was illegal mm-hmm. to depict gay characters in films or mm-hmm. whatever. It was, you know, like it was really, there was ridiculous. Um, and so it didn't just explode into um, the world until. You know, now it seems like it's everywhere, but it is really an astonishing change mm-hmm. from that time. And it was it meant enormous it meant an enormous amount to me, and it meant a great deal to me to, to be able to tell Patricia Nell Warren how mm-hmm. much that meant to me. Which you can hear Eric do. I I think the last episode we have posted of the Dinner Party Show, which is at thedinnerpartyshow.com. It's an interview with Patricia Nell Warren and Brian Fuller simultaneously. That is on there. For you to listen to, little plug in. There. Yeah, she was. Um, yeah, it was really. Um, Actually, I think that particular moment was earlier when we interviewed her by herself. Yeah, don't know the episode number offhand, but it's there. Look for Patricia L. Warren under the Dinner Party Shows episodes. Yeah, so that's one of the books that came near mind. If I was but going to pick my favorite, I would probably pick Last of the Wine. I saw that coming. Which is just the most romantic thing I've ever read by an author named Mary Renault. Mm-hmm. Um just or Renault, I don't know how she pronounced it, I don't but know. just my god, I actually swooned. There was a part when the characters finally got together where I had to lie down. Mm-hmm. Like it was just mm-hmm. it was just the most romantic, uh, just amazing, and I would give honorable mention to Dancer from the Dance. Oh yeah, Andrew Holleran. Yeah, absolutely. And anything by um, I think his name is Ethan Morden. I just think I he's just a read just Ethan think Morden. He's hysterical. He's so read funny. Ethan but um, but yeah, but in terms of the actual like, Last of the Wine is just such a beautiful romance, and um, Dancer from the Dance is really a remarkable insight into that moment in history. And that moment in history is the is Alexander's conquest of Persia. Is that correct? Or uh, I have not read the book. No, no, no. Dancer I'm thinking from, of the Persian. Oh, oh, Dancer, Dancer from, from the, the Dance. Dance. I'm sorry. Is, the moment is like yes. contemporary American history, like 1970s, 60s American. Yeah. Still very closeted gay culture. It was like, what happens? We read it actually almost in tandem with... Um, 
Pride and Prejudice in mm-hmm. our book club, our disastrous attempt at having a book club. We're such Um, bitches. We didn't like anything, but we loved Dancer from the Dance. Yeah. And we read it in tandem with Pride and Prejudice. And what was interesting to me, and I think also to Christopher, was the way in which both of those books depict somebody very capable and very smart and very brilliant with very limited options Mm -hmm. using their intelligence Mm -hmm. in this very um, stunted sort of environment. So, over-intellectualizing something that is relatively simplistic, mm-hmm. um, but because they don't really have any other options, right. their world is very small. Yeah. Elizabeth in mm-hmm. um, Bennett Barrett, uh, I Bennett, I Bennett believe, yeah. in Pride and Prejudice is, you know, she's a woman in that time she's period. She's hemmed she, in, yeah. Right, so all she really has to do is go to a ball. It's all about what man is going to choose her, and if that mm-hmm. doesn't happen, then her life is kind of over, and that's kind of the same story in this in dancer from the in dance, dancer from yeah. the dance. It's this very weird, um, almost uh, deformed kind mm-hmm. of uh, social culture in which people are forced to exist by the social norms of the period, trying to live a life and imply the intelligence and creativity that they have right. to a world that doesn't really offer them much. In the anyway, very fascinating uh, book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Persian Boy is actually a very nice yes, book I've been about confused. also really a great book and mm-hmm. uh, a toss-up. But Last of the Wine is about, I think it's about the siege of Athens. Mm-hmm. It's about, um, yeah, I think it's a, about a love affair between uh, two men during in and around the siege of, uh, siege of Athens. Excellent. Okay. I came at this question from, I would say, a privileged position because of my childhood. I was born in the Castro District in San Francisco, so I didn't really feel a complete drought when Mom it came to... dance for the money. They throw <laughs> people... Get... No, that's not it. No, that's not it. I um, grew up in a house with Ann Rice where we had erotic gay writing in the library downstairs. You know, So I wasn't starved, but what I was desperate for was depictions of gay men... As people in history, <laughs> sorry for that segue. Yeah. As people who uh, had lives that extended outside the borders of gay neighborhoods, so I, I grew up in the Castro District until I was ten years old in San Francisco. Then we moved to New Orleans, and it was like gay was over. We were no longer in a gay-friendly environment. the The social atmosphere in the Garden District was very conservative, despite New Orleans seeming like this eccentric, wild, artistic place, which it is, but not in this. A bubble that I that we moved into initially. So I thought of, and also the AIDS epidemic exploded right after we left the Castro district. And so there was the sense that the old neighborhood might not even be there anymore. Like that was how apocalyptic it felt. Right. So this idea of gay people as uh, people who could move throughout the world without a ton of restrictions, who had history, who had all of these um, intricate relationships with each other, uh, found family, all that sort of stuff. I found that in a book called Like People in History by Felice Picano. I love that book. Yeah, and I think what sold me on it was there was a blurb on the front from Edmund White, who was actually good friends, probably still is good friends with Felice Picano. They started the Violet and Quill Andrew Club Aller, together. Right? And Andrew Holler. Yeah, yeah, they, they were, were all, all in the same part of that writer's world. group together. It said, this is the gay gone with the wind. And that was what I really wanted. I wanted a gay epic. And that book followed this group of gay men from, I think, Woodstock, or even earlier, the 50s, all the way up through what was happening 
um, culturally yeah. at the time it was written. I think it was before that. Yeah. I think it was even before that. And it was so. it, it was really impactful for me because it, it expanded my horizons and my sense of what a gay life could be. It went to all of the gay um, vacation destinations that I had heard about, like Provincetown and Fire Island, all these different places. But it also went, it was in San Francisco, it was in New York, it was all over, and it, and it felt expansive to me. And I read it when I was in college, and it had a permanent... So much fun. Permanent effect on me. Permanent effect on me. But honestly, the, there was there was a book in the high school library that was, I think, a, a fantasy novel that I picked up one day and started leafing through it and the warrior on horseback took a male slave and took him other ways too and it was like oh my god I was because I wasn't expecting what it what was the name of I don't that? know how I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me I don't know how it ended up in our high school like it was not a book geared at young people so it's not one of these like YA novels that we've been talking right. about celebrating it had just made its way onto the shelves and I think it was another example of gay representation popping up in a place that you didn't expect it to. I mean, we talk about this a lot, or we're not the first people to talk about it. I think there's a speech in the movie Broken Hearts Club where one of the characters says, can we please be something in a movie other than a suffering AIDS victim or there right. to teach straight people right. how to sing like and dance? One of the things that has occurred to me of late is that if science fiction and science fantasy needs to really up their gay game because mm -hmm. if this is where we are with gay people and LGBTQ A plus right. minus up down yeah everybody ampersand right. whatever all of the all of the whole alphabet there with with the sexual diversity that is more mm -hmm. and more a part of our culture which is I think is the reason for all of those letters is that we're coming to understand that there, that everybody is their own color on right. this particular wheel. Um, if this is where we are with it now, mm -hmm. in a thousand years or a hundred years or wherever, where will we be? And right. if you're imagining science fiction or science fantasy yeah. in the future, it needs to take that into account. Right, exactly. And so... There need to be like, and I, I think it is, I think it is starting it is, to happen. It is another thing that is happening in young adult fiction. I'm amazed by the amount of space operas, high fantasies that are coming out with queer main characters that are that would just be unthinkable, not unthinkable a few years ago, but niche, being published by a small press. Now they're being published by Tor and Nightfire and all these big traditional New York based Good. publishers. Yeah, it's really, it's really happening. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm like people in history. I think I could also do. You know the other book that really, uh, well, I did do two. I did the I did the book I couldn't name, the unnameable fantasy with the slave boy. But I think it again, it was about the first exposure to life as a gay person can be bigger than you are afraid it might be. Grammatically, that sentence doesn't make sense, but I think you get my meaning. Yeah, okay. no, it's just about it's it's about it's the importance of representation. <laughs> Thank you. 
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors, and you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. <laughs> All right, so the next category, we're going to go back to you, Eric Sharquin, favorite gay movie. And, like, I'm, I I have to look at this through, um, you know, a different lens. Mm, um, I know, this was actually the toughest one because for me. Because, you know, what was the one that had the most, like, impact mm-hmm. on me seeing it? And what was the one, you know, what would I just say in general as my favorite? And it's kind of, like... I guess I have to say I have to pick Morris. I have to pick the the Forester, the mm-hmm. because it was it was about seeing two men fall in love with each other in a very realistic, you know, mm-hmm. fully realized kind of way. Also dealing with the issues that went with. Mm-hmm. That particular choice, and ultimately with a very romantic conclusion, and not, you know, and then a tree fell on him, or he burst into flames, or killed himself, or mm-hmm. whatever. And it was very much about um, Morris realizing his fully realizing his own love and sexuality, his own identity, his own sexual identity as part of the movie. It's beautifully done. Mm-hmm. It's very well put together. Some of the most take your breath away romantic moments that I've ever seen. You know, and and it's that sort of wonderful Edwardian mm-hmm. period piece that that's also and great actors. You know, Hugh Grant and mm-hmm. I can't remember the other guy's name, but he's been Rupert in Graves. Everything. Rupert Graves was right. certainly Scudder, but the is it the same actor from Brideshead Revisited? The one who actually plays Morris. Yes, I can't remember his it's, name. I think he's. I think he was in Room with a View, but mm. but I don't think he was in the um, E.M. Forrester verse. I don't think he was in um, Brideshead Revisited. I, that was not. He wasn't one of the characters. But yeah. But there's also Brokeback, mm-hmm. which I just which just swept me away. And the thing that was so impactful for me about that was. Um, that it was this big, giant, mainstream gay romance. Mm-hmm. It's, and and beautifully done. I mean, just an amazingly well-done film. So it was very hard for me to pick. The Morris was beautiful and very well done, but had the bigger impact on me. But is it more my favorite than Brokeback? It's hard to say. I also will throw in for honorable mention, like I did last time, um, the thing about Harry. Oh, we love the thing about a, Harry. Which is a little yes. TV movie that Peter yes. Page made for, Adorable. for, I think, Freeform that um, 
Disney and fucking Hulu need to put up on Hulu all the time so that we can see it whenever we want to, particularly at Valentine's, which is when they aired it in the first fucking place. And I don't understand what the problem is with that, but knock it the fuck off. <laughs> that's really beautiful, Eric Shaw Quinn. I knew that's really touching, <laughs> A right? Valentine's Day message yes. from Eric Shaw Quinn. So, yeah, that's the declension. My, I have okay. to put Morris in first place, but God... Brokeback Mountain is such a really great movie. And I just love the thing about Harry is, you know, a cute gay romance, the Valentine's Day TV romance movie mm-hmm. to be watched on Valentine's Day. And I recommend it highly. I struggled the most with this, and I have the same answer. But getting to that answer took a lot of work. It did not occur to me right away. I just kept feeling like I was landing on the wrong answer. I couldn't pick Brokeback because of its ending. Not like I fault the movie for that ending, but the ending was like, yeah, I've seen this story before. It ends badly, and it ends sadly. I know. The fact that they were these hyper-masculine cowboys made it a landmark experience in that respect, but it wasn't the movie that really got through. There were a lot of movies that... um, Let me just say one thing about Brokeback. Mm -hmm. Like, the one thing that Brokeback does that isn't like the other tragic ending for gay is that while it is a tragic ending, Mm -hmm. it fully acknowledges the love affair. If the ending had been Heath Ledger winds up with his wife and child and Jake is dead, that would have been the ending that I've hated all these years. He never goes back to the wife. His love is still... It's a tragic ending, but it's still a love story. That's a good point. It never betrays that. That That was the difference with... With Brokeback that really made sold it to me. But, but I didn't walk out feeling hope. No. Right? I didn't walk out feeling hope. And as you, spoiler alert, as you've already said, and I think we should, Morris has a hopeful, happy ending. Oh, my ending. God. And given the time period it's set, and it makes it even more hopeful. What? So I actually had to go, because I was like, Moonlight, I think, is one of the best movies ever made. Oh, my God. Just one of the most astonishing But as you said, I, did, I didn't think it fit the category of what we were really talking about here. I saw Mo- Moonlight as a recent film. I was a fully yeah. grown man when I saw it. I didn't see it when I was young. So I actually I went and I got a list of somebody's idea of what the greatest gay films of all time were. Moonlight was number one. And Morris was like number seven or number eight. And there it was like, oh, there it is. And what came back to me, and I think what was my block around it, was... Uh, my best friend in college was desperate for me to see it. I was out of the closet at the time. She was a straight woman. She said, you got to see this movie. And I was so fucking resistant to watching it. And this is going to contradict everything I said earlier. The reason I was resistant is I said, it cannot possibly be about me. It's a historical period piece about guys who live in another country. Right. Now, of course, I was all about scope, 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 and big lives. And I couldn't see that at the time. And I said, this movie is not going to speak to me. And boy, was I wrong. Yeah. I mean, it I was mean. really that scene where Scudder comes through the, the, the window. window. Oh, my God. Because I think the thing, this has always been the appeal for me and why I want to write gay historical stories is I, if I do do it, you know, and I haven't really done it, um, I would focus on what it took to stay together. What it took to survive. I wouldn't. Fo- There's a lot, as we just said, about the tragedy and the loss and the and the and the you know the the horrible reality of what we went through. Some people may need to learn about that. We don't. We yeah. know very. We Already know a chapter and that. verse. Yes. You know, like it was terrible. Um, but 
but w- what it took to be the guy who had the courage to go through that window and just say, I want you. I don't, yeah. I'm not going to pretend. I'm going to want somebody else. Or to else. meet him at the boathouse. And for, I've almost, I would almost love to see and the life they made together. You yes. know what I mean? Like, okay, we've made the decision. Somebody just wrote that book. Oh, wow. That's somebody really just wrote that book. Stutter. I have the book, but I, I really... need to write. Um, I, excuse me, I need to write. I need to read. I want to read the original novel, the Ian Forrester novel. I think novel. I have read the original novel. Have you? I think so. Did I you think like it? so. Okay. It's one of those things where I can't remember anymore, yeah. but I think that was part of my response. Yeah. Um, I wish that I had seen Moonlight when I was young. Yes. Because it really is about growing into your sexuality right. in a world that's hostile to it. I yeah. just, God, what an amazing film. Amazing Definitely film. best movie that year and many others. But My honorable mention, though, is like a tie. Like the ones that I saw, there was an art house movie theater at Brown University that would show the gay movie that would come out yeah. every year. And there were two movies that were like, huh, they got through to me, but I didn't have that totally uplifting feeling. One was Beautiful Thing. Which is about those two adorable boys God, in the I British housing movie. project who fall in love. Yeah, I really considered yeah. that one. Um, the first Stonewall movie with uh, Peter Weller's son, Fred, was like, it was a history lesson and it was kind of dark, but the main character was uh, strong and a fighter and stood up for himself and went after, you know, whatever. Stonewall's such a complicated So I'm not talking about the Roland Emmerich movie, which I haven't seen. Um, but it's it was fine. it was an interesting. I remember thinking like, this is an interesting movie because again, as with Morris, it was like, who would you need to be to actually survive and hold up under this stress and this pressure? Um, but again, nothing compared to Morris. Nothing. No, they're just none of them really. Like, there's um, beautiful Laundrette. Yeah, there's, that was a good. There's one. a number of wonderful little um, yeah. movies from back in the time period, but Morris was so big and so beautiful and so mainstream, and as you say, so hopeful. Yeah, the, the way that it ended, the way that it presented that, I remember just weeping in that final scene because it was so antithetical to every other depiction yeah. of the gay romance that I had ever seen before. We are going to do whatever it Absolutely. takes to make this work. Was yeah. the was the message at the end and that was just totally took my breath away yeah. okay tv series you know i'm going to say i don't have one oh my god i don't think that we have really done a gay tv series there's certainly shows that i like um greg berlanti's brothers and sisters did a wonderful job of depicting gay characters as something more than part of the scenery mm-hmm. Like when Mark Cherry did the gay couple in Desperate Housewives, Desperate Housewives they were literally like scenery. They yeah. were not part of the actual, they were not Desperate Housewives. I thought that was a real missed opportunity. I lo- I watched every episode of Will and Grace and I loved Karen, but that was about how straight people see gay people, mm-hmm. which is fine. Queer Eye for the Straight Guy is five people. It takes five people to be one gay stereotype. It can have, be have you fun watched and the new one? I have not, yeah. and I look forward to it, and it yeah. gets fun, and I don't have any problem with it, and I don't have any problem with uh, Will and Grace. But it didn't. Re- None of those have really landed with me. As how could you not pick your favorites of all time, Nate and Jeremiah, in their design show? I surely thought that was going to be your. I pick. love. I love Nate and Jeremiah because it depicts them as a couple, but that's a it's home a design show. show. It's a home it's renovation not, show. Yeah. It's not characters and 
and development. I mean, there are lots of examples, and I and I don't dislike them. Like Queer as Folk is probably, if I was going to pick anything, it would probably be the British version of Queer as Folk. That's mm-hmm. maybe the first one that I ever saw. Mm-hmm. And I saw it while I was living in England mm-hmm. um, right. and fell in love with it. The ending is really weird and mm-hmm. really English. So, yeah. that you know, whatever. And I think it's only like nine episodes or something. It's not a bunch of, of show. And I enjoyed the, the one that was on TV here, the, the Queer as Folk version here. But it was... Well, you wrote the books. I wrote the books yeah. about it. You know, like I was connected to it and whatever, but... It was about, um, it was almost like the shock value of it, the, mm-hmm. the whatever. It, it wasn't, it still didn't land in that category. Like, I'm I'm still waiting for my favorite gay television show. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I have to say I haven't really seen it yet. That's I've interesting, seen, yeah. We've started to move towards it. Mm-hmm. But most, like, there's a show called, I think it's called High Town. that's about Providence, Provincetown. Provincetown, yeah. Where the gay people are literally the scenery. Is like, it, but is the, the action heroin of the show, gay? The, the action of the show takes place in front of it. Yes, and I was going to say that as a caveat. There are a lot of really good lesbian shows. If you'd asked me what my favorite lesbian show was, mm. I, I might have a better answer. Really? Yeah. Than, than, than you know, like, yeah. the, the closest that anybody has come is Queer as Folk yeah. to doing a show. And I'm really interested to see what Peacock does with that in a more contemporary way mm-hmm. so that we move out of the sort of roadhouse morality of mm-hmm. the previous ones so we don't just look at it in terms of the sexuality. That's the thing yeah, that yeah, I loved I think about the, Peacock the Greg is, Berlanti. The, and that was my pick. Take you know, on Brothers and Sisters. It was but, your, you sold me on that show. I watched the pilot of Brothers and Sisters and I thought, this is a little oh packed. Oh my God, it was but just But you said, give it another look because this is the first time the gay storyline is getting the exact same yeah. Amount of screen time is everything else, and that's what got me into it. Yeah. And so it's my pick, but I completely agree with you. I, I can't pick a fully gay series offhand that that would you know really scratches my edge. And I'm interested to see what they do with Queer's Folk because it might be. Yeah. I didn't feel very. I did not feel represented by Queer's Folk. Well, you know that I'm, sort of that relationship to my sexuality. Yeah. Has, does not match that. I didn't go and sleep with everybody what at the I, bar. I didn't but like. Wait, wait. How could I have left out Tales of the City? Well, oh that, my god. I don't really see Tales of the City as being a gay series in much the same way that I don't see Brothers and Sisters as being. It's a gay an series. inclusive series. Are, it's yeah. inclusive, and there are gay characters, and there are that's happening a lot more in television. Yeah, right. And I really do appreciate that. Yeah. You know, very. Just sort of offhand references to some of the characters are gay and they're mm-hmm. in same-sex relationships and they're just included as part of the norm. I really love that. Yeah. The normalization of the, gay, the I think, nudes. is maybe more important. But a show that is really where the principal characters are gay and it's yeah. about them being whoever they are. It could be a doctor show where the yeah, principal characters right. are gay or... Um, a lawyer Cove. show or the Sapphire Cove show right, or something. Yeah, it could be a hotel show where the Chris and Eric characters are gay. have a sitcom about Chris and Eric. Uh, anyway, we I made it about us that time. I didn't make it about me. But it's the same. But, but yeah, I that, totally know what you mean. A world, a world that is ours, and it's like I hate to use this example, but the only place you see that is in porn. 
<laughs> you go to the police station and everyone's a gay dude having gay sex, even the straight dudes. You go to the high school, everybody's gay. College or whatever, second semester, senior high school, whatever. So, like, it's this environment. It's a joke about porn. It's one of those environments where everybody's gay because they're having gay sex. Yeah, they did a yeah. joke about on um, a little show called Robot Chicken recently that I saw <laughs> where they had the Riverdale Gay Pride Parade mm-hmm. and everybody's out cheering and the float comes along with Kevin, the single, the gay character, and then that's it. The float goes by and that's the whole parade because he's it. He's their sort of token gay and yeah. they, he doesn't really have a storyline. It's the perfect example of, I stopped watching that show because they wouldn't develop that character. Mm. I literally quit watching Riverdale over yeah. the fact that it was A, pitched to people 100 years younger than me, and, and I'm gonna, B, this is they my, wouldn't develop the gay I'm character. I'm going to go dark and Irish because yes. that's my lineage here. This is what I'm worried about. I watched on a lark... I, I, the first episode of, and then there was that, or the, then, and just like that, or whatever, the new Sex in the City. And I have to say, my takeaway was, wow, it's a way more substantial show than the first one. And I wow. completely identified with it because it is about how the main characters, with one notable exception, as we all know, are now out of step and not sexually explicit enough and surrounded by all these young, multi-alphabet, <laughs> diverse people. And they're like, like Sarah Jessica Parker is trying to be on this podcast with these two younger gender non-conforming people and she can't keep up and she's not being personal enough. And this is a woman who used to write about her sex life and the whatever. Right. I really thought it was fun and that's I may really watch fun. more of it for that reason. I am afraid that that's going to be my reaction to the Queer as Folk reboot, that they're going to be so young and so hip, I'm going to feel like the old guy with this walker, like, <laughs> you kids need to come down and uh, but that's we'll, really I'll, funny well yeah. I kind of felt that way about the last one I really didn't I just felt like oh yeah I knew those boys I knew those people I yeah. just wasn't one of them yeah that's not the gay person that I was like yeah. one of my biggest stop telling me how to be gay used to be one of my big sort of mantras of like well, if you're not, you know, having yeah. sex at the rest stop or in the bushes or whatever, right. it's like, that doesn't have anything to do with being gay. That's I about to wanting to have sex in public. Like, yeah. that's fine. Knock yourself out, but don't expect me to want to do that. That's Own your kink, right. but don't act like your kink right. is gay sexuality. It's the sexuality. only way of being gay. I just, yeah. am, I just find that, yeah, He says as he puts his furry costume on. Um, right. So we're back to true crime next week. We're bringing you a true crime special well, edition. that's it. We, special have we said edition. gay enough, Christopher? Gay, 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 gay. gay, gay. gay, gay, gay. Nothing gay next week. We're, we said it all this well, week. Well, except us. We're super gay. Yeah, we are really gay. So it'll still be our gay take on true crime. What is it next week, It's a true crime special edition. And if you're new to the podcast, that is when in a single episode of our podcast, we bring you a multiple episode series. So we're just exhausted by the time we're done. Absolutely. Uh, We are bringing you a series called Unseemly, the investigation of Peter Nygaard, which is available to stream on Discovery Plus if you are one of those people who likes to read ahead. However, we should say we serve up the episode's plural in this case to you in such steaming detail that you do not have to watch the show unless steaming. you want to watch the show. <laughs> that sounds like a remark. Steaming detail. It's it's uh, seamy detail. Yes. Unseemly, An right? Unseemly detail. So that is next week on TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. Thanks. Okay, okay. Gay, 
This is TDPS.